There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they are not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Picard podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... And I'm Redshirt Dave. I'm actually giggling at my own nickname, because I expect the worst when I say it. Tonight we'll be discussing Episode 3, Season 1 of Star Trek Picard. Well, we got off into space a little sooner than I thought we might. Me too. In fact, I was just making a note about that. Maybe that's why I was a little distracted. I was just thinking of Riker and his mate, and I thought... It seemed to me that, well, are they going back to Earth to see everyone? Because, you know, in all the trailers, we see him go to the Riker household, for lack of a better name, and she's there with Troy. So then I thought, are they not on Earth? Right. That's and so when they take... Possible. Yeah. I mean, it looks pretty... <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way until just now. I was thinking of Troy and Riker. I'm like, well, did they go back to Earth? And he's leaving space. No, wait a minute. What if they're not? Right. Huh. Yeah, I don't be... think they are going to be showing back up on Earth anytime soon. I mean, it sure doesn't seem that way. Yeah, why? Yeah. <laughs> to get attacked by the giant yeah. again? Yeah. So, I guess they're off planet. Yeah, I guess. And speaking of Jonathan Franks, we yes. find out that he will be directing the next two episodes. Good. Yes. So maybe he'll appear in then. Yeah. <laughs> so that will be interesting to see, seeing that we're kind of starting the second act of this season. Yeah, I watched uh, an episode of Hawaii Five O last night, and Chai McBride is on it. And last night he had written the episode, and he got all the juicy lines. What a coincidence! <laughs> so I wonder if Jonathan Frakes will have the same approach. Make sure <laughs> the camera's on him, and he gets some good lines. He, he doesn't have a writing credit, but. I bet they can't help but lean that way when you have the power. Right. Yeah, it's very possible. All right. Shall we get into episode three? Episode three. The end is beginning. Completely unaware of her special nature, Soji continues her work and captures the attention of the Cube Research Project's executive director. After rehashing past events with a reluctant Raffi, Picard seeks others willing to join his search for Bruce Maddox, including pilot and former Starfleet officer Cristobal Rios. Yeah. Some kind of episode that we yeah. oh. start in the past again. Yeah. I was a little surprised to see Mars get hammered again. That was pretty well known yes. <laughs> and established. So why again? Did, did you sense anything from that? Or do they just want to make sure everyone's caught up? That's a really good question. I guess they were trying to set up the the scene we see afterwards to let us know that it actually happened shortly there after the attack. Yeah, because we meet... Rafi. And in the comic book, I should mention by IDW, the uh, prequel to this series, 
Picard Countdown, she does call him JL a lot. And I can tell you the uniforms that they were wearing outside uh, Starfleet are exactly the same as the uniforms that they wore in the comic book. Although they seem to fit a little better in the comic book than they did on the TV. <laughs> I looked at them like, I looked at those uniforms a little loose around the collar. Right. Oh, well. Maybe it was a last-minute decision. It's like, ah, maybe we should dress them up in the same as the comic book. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could be. Get to see some of the history between Jean-Luc and Rafi, who worked with him on the Romulan evacuation plan. She's very enthusiastic, and it looked like she'd follow him into hell. Super excited. I don't know much, how many years they had together. They were aboard the Verity, as established in the comic book, which was going to be, I guess, like flagship to the rescue effort. Right, you would think. Yeah. So, yeah, it uh, is interesting to know that, yeah, they seem to have a pretty close relationship. Who else is able to call him JL? Yeah, nobody. Yeah. (laughs) and Not even his dog causing that. Yeah. (laughs) And so, how long were they on the Verity together? It's not exactly established in the comic either, although enough time to be casual with that. He was still Admiral. I don't know. She's she's like a super fan and an officer. Right. She was number one for him. So as you'd expect from Picard, he puts his career on the line to stand up for what he believes in, continuing to help the Romulans even after the attack on Mars. Worked out a really intricate plan where they're going to use mothballed ships and not decommission, but standby personnel and the synthetics, but. Starfleet isn't having anything to do with it. Yeah, my Vulcan ears pricked up a little bit on that, too. We go on to learn about Rafi's suspicions. I mean, that came pretty quickly. Yes, it did. And what's curious about it is Picard seems to dismiss it, even though she says she has proof. Yeah, not that he should have known that they would accept his resignation, but it seemed preordained, if not planned. They're ready for him, and they they absolutely know is there. And with her suspicions, he was a little too forgiving of Starfleet. Yes, he was. Yeah, I smell a rat, too. (laughs) He can't get past the point of why would the Romulans attack their own rescue force. Right. It doesn't make sense. No, it really doesn't. (laughs) We've seen issues with Starfleet all through the series, and for him to be just so blind about it is a little surprising. But of course... yeah. With him putting in his resignation and them accepting it, Rafi gets the call it's from like, the CNC and they yeah. fire her butt. Yeah, all a part of the cover-up, I would say. Oh, absolutely. I can picture some somebody at their desk saying he offered his resignation. They're like, good, yeah. just as we had hoped. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Absolutely. And let's make sure we get rid of Rafi as well and... Cut off her security clearance so she can't be digging anymore. Yeah, and she really took that personally, too. I mean, it's it's great to have a career. <laughs> <laughs> but she was in it heart and soul. It reminds me of the first episode. Everyone has careers. Okay, you're on Star Trek. And you're out in space at Starfleet. What about those people that were working in the shipyard? Why? Yeah. I mean, just it's something to do because they don't get paid, right? There is yeah. no money. Oh, absolutely. What's, so why? You know, as you're that tied to your job in the future? I can understand exploration going into space. That's exciting. But working on a shipyard without getting paid so to stave off boredom? <laughs> what is the uh, positive reinforcement, Steve? <laughs> a job well done? Yeah. Something you love? Uh, 
future sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be, I'm going to have to think on that one. Yeah. Well, let's get into what's going on on the Reclamation Cube, Dave. I love the camera zooms in. The the music immediately becomes foreboding. And there's the inky darkness of space with the slight glitter of some green and that intricate cube. I'm like, ah, so exciting. Yeah, that was an amazing opening shot going through the cube like that. That was just fantastic. And it has one of our favorite Borg, or X-Borg, XB, on it too. Yes. I think I sh- <laughs> When I watched it the first time, my wife was trying to read. Good luck to her. <laughs> and I shout out, Hugh! <laughs> Look, it's Hugh! And she looks up, yep. <laughs> yeah, good old Hugh, though. I had re- read of something about his personal life. He was going through a few issues during the uh, original uh, recording of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, I won't recount them here. You can look them up. But, uh, you know, he's definitely a sympathetic character on and off screen. Right. And it kind of mirrors that by the first thing he does is commending Soji on her excellent work. So... That's great empathy. I like that. Yeah, and that's what got him was Soji's empathy for the uh, reclaim. Yeah, because he uh, he's one of the as he characterizes himself the no more one of the no more despised people in the galaxy. You know, he's just seen as I don't know property or something to be exploited or or warehoused. I guess this the Romulans are offering him something as close as they can to being acceptance. Of course, they're using him. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, so. He must be aware of that at some level, but still, it, this must be important enough for him to accept being used. Right. I wonder what there is behind her compassion. We know she's a, an organic synthetic. They don't. Right. <laughs> well, the Romulans do. At least one aspect of them do. Right. Still, there's something attractive about her empathy and sympathy. I know it resonated with Hugh. And if you go back to the last episode, it resonated with Narek, too. I still think of that look on his face. Perhaps maybe he was stunned that he knew that she knew Romulan and he didn't know that. Right. Could be. Yeah. Of course, coming soon, uh, she knows things she doesn't even know yet. <laughs> but it was terrific to see Hugh bring her into the, the I, know, I almost call it the, the playground, their, their seclusion, where their XBs that are of Romulan nature are being kept. It's almost something like uh, an insane asylum or sanitarium. Oh, absolutely. They call it disordered. Yeah, the disordered. Oh, boy. And the chief character among them there, Ramda, uh, we get to know. She's a foremost expert on Romulan myths, which is really exciting to me because I had my theory that I elucidated about a week ago. And I'll just give you a quick update on that here, that the Romulans are living a lie, that their, their origin goes way back to organic synthetics. This is my theory, that when they broke off in the Vulcan, from Vulcan and went into space, eventually all the original Vulcans died off and only the synthetics were left, or the organic synthetics who became to be known as Romulans. That's not part of this TV series, although I wish it will be. So if she's an expert on mythology, that's the kind of stories you create about your own race. And one of their stories is that we're a seafaring race of, of Romulans and broke unknown, established a mighty empire. You know, and it might be one of their greatest secrets, too. Right. You know, some, a mixture between fact and fiction. We'll see. Yeah. And so uh, another exciting part of this meeting in the disordered room, it seems like the Borg never took an interest in the Romulans or there was something about them when they were assimilated. Ramda was aboard a scout ship that was assimilated and it didn't take or something to that effect. Right. Yeah. I, something happened that caused them to be disconnected from the collective. Yeah. 
So my mind is racing. I'm trying to reconcile how it fits into my own mythology, my own theory. Yeah, you would have to think that if the Borg had assimilated those 25 Romulans and they were actually synthetic as well. Yeah, even though over a thousand years, it might have poisoned the mix, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Interesting. If you don't, if this is, if my theory doesn't work out, they need to hire me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a great story for you. <laughs> yeah. And then we, of course, we have a recollection that uh, Laura had told us in the previous episode that uh, they were never interested in artificial intelligence or synthetics, but maybe because they reject it, it doesn't match their own mythology. But it seems hard to believe they don't have some connection to AI. I mean, computers in that day and age, there has to be an AI. I mean, how can you so, yeah. run something that complex? I mean, here we are trying it in the 21st century. They must be. <laughs> I mean, in the 24th century and 25th century, they must, Romulans must have something to that effect, I would guess. Otherwise, they're doing it the hard way. It seems odd that the Romulans would have nothing to offer the Borg in that sense. I mean, the Borg would know about their own AI. That would be, they would assimilate their technology. So, huh, you know, that's something to think on, Steve. Yep, because there's got to be more to it than what we've been given so far. Yeah. So, Romney seems to be working on some type of tarot deck. Not exactly um, reading the future, but well, as she would put it, understanding the news. Right. Yeah, I thought that was great. <laughs> Yeah. Not mythology. I do not like that word. Yeah. And Soji was thinking, uh, you know, she was pretty excited over a, a shared narrative framework for understanding their deep-rooted trauma and archetype. And seeing Ramda access this and work with it, she, she got all excited. So it would provide her a window into their own past and what they were thinking. Perhaps, I don't know, cure them or at least alleviate their there's some type of psychosis they seem to be suffering and provide a, a reason why they couldn't be assimilated the way all the other cultures were right yeah i think soji was just trying to find a way to actually help rehabilitate those that have been assimilated right i'm not sure <laughs> i see how that can work i mean understanding the mythology i don't know i took psychology in college and grad school and so we're used to trying to um, rehabilitate people, but hmm, from a historical perspective, yeah, I don't know. And I, there's no analog to our own field of psychology. I can't think of anything by maybe, oh, well, okay, Carl Jung, who was a neo-Freudian, that would make sense. He thinks we had a, sh a shared subconscious Right. amongst humanity. So that would go back through the ages. I guess I'll have to read up on my Carl Jung to understand it further, but it does seem interesting. Anyway, <laughs> things get a little testy in there as Ramda remembers uh, Soji from tomorrow, which is cool. And she recognizes her as an android. So, uh-oh. Yeah. That was one of the things I've been looking forward to. There's things we haven't seen, but in the teasers before the season, I knew I had seen something about we didn't know it was Soji and Dodge. We only thought it was one person, not twins. But Rhonda's character was featured in there. That you are the destroyer. Yeah. Which I think made a lot of people think about maybe Soji is the Borg queen. I mean, that theory still hasn't been eliminated yet. Right. And she asked her if she's the, the one that dies or the one that lives, which is pretty cool. It's like talking about different sides of a coin, yeah. the yin and yang and everything else that has to do with philosophy of that nature. 
And she's the one that lives, as we know, <laughs> by the so third far. episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so far. So she calls her the destroyer. So, gosh. So it's either something, if she's a synthetic and she's a destroyer because she's recognized the roots of her own mythology and she, like, destroyed the Romulan race by replacing it with organic synthetic, Steve? That's interesting. Well, it goes way back then. That's the yeah. that's the uh, thread I'm following. Maybe. She may not be the destroyer, but she's uh, just like the destroyer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, she yeah. could be. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense because you have the the radical Vulcans that wanted purity. They didn't want the right. split from from Romulan because that was one thing Spock was always going after was the reunification of the Romulans and the Vulcans. So, yeah, it's very possible the, the purest Vulcans knew that the Romulans were synthetic, yeah. organic types. So that would be a, a really deep-seated storyline that goes way back. Way back, yeah. It's pretty exciting, if true. Yeah. And you know what it also means? It means Spock was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong in trying to connect two people. But ultimately, he could have been wrong that these Romulans that he that they come to know and fear were were part actually <laughs> the ex the Vulcans they weren't from centuries before right. they were the organic synthetic instead and he never knew it yep. <laughs> pretty cool yeah so we come to discover that Soji doesn't understand what she was saying she comes up with the a narratives that even Hugh looked at her sideways uh -huh. like how do you know all this and she what? didn't know yeah any of the stuff either. <laughs> He should have got a clue when they talked just before going into that. Wait a minute, have you seen the thought the uh, file? Right. You know, even he hasn't. And that's a little surprising to him. Yeah, because he probably didn't have access to it. Yeah. So she's accessing things somehow, and it's all part of somebody's plan. I can't see how it would be Bruce Maddox's plan. Is he want to really bring down civilizations? Yeah, I don't see that that would be something Maddox would be behind. Unless he's become a mad scientist. I know we're spinning off into theories here a little early, but why would he do that? Why? And it has to be coupled with the question, why would the Romulans attack their own rescue fleet? It, it doesn't make sense for why would Bruce Maddox design something put out with a positronic matrix to attack and kill 100,000 people aboard Mars? What? That doesn't make sense either. Yeah. Exactly. So who is pulling the strings? <laughs> it's the Vulcan purist, Steve. Even the Vulcans don't know about it. Could it be that the Jad Vash are that deep and dark? I mean, that's that's apocalyptic. Me. Right. Do they want to go back to a, that the Romulans are the only race in the galaxy? They've already it got spies on Earth and right. they're attacked Mars. me at all. That's dark. Unless, like you had kind of mentioned before, that maybe the Borg Queen is somehow behind all this? Yeah, and they're using an end around. I mean, right. they've. I had one theory that Bruce Maddox was captured by the Romulans and he's aboard the cube and nobody knows it. And their Romulans are using him. That seemed to have been dismissed with some of the information yeah. that we're going to learn later. Anyway, so uh, Soji admits that she didn't know what she knows. She's like a rookie in baseball. Doesn't know what he knows. <laughs> and so Narek decides to move a chess piece a little closer and uh, ask her if she can keep a secret and that he may be falling in love with her. Ugh. Yeah, big <laughs> ugh. Maybe lie. he is a little on some level. Still, it's part of the plan. Yeah, I think so. And then speaking of the plan, we switch to uh, Narek going through some dark hallway on the cube and there's his sister waiting for him. 
And she's looking awfully Romulan now. Oh, absolutely she is. And she's pretty nasty. For her sister, she can smell soji on him, and she's like, kind of carnal. Like, oh, lady. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not phased. He didn't really phase him. It could have shaken him because she was kind of nasty. But he got right nasty right back with her. Yeah. Reminding her how she blew the uh, part of the mission on Earth with Dodge. They have a penchant for leaning into each other and whispering the utmost insult they can think of at the yes. time. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes That's me wonder, that, is there something else going on there besides just being brother and sister? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'll just stick with nasty. <laughs> yeah, I'd hate to I don't know if the Romans have Thanksgiving. I'm starting to think not. <laughs> but I'd hate to be around that <laughs> table when the Romulan turkey comes out <laughs> in one giant food fight. <laughs> well, I wouldn't eat a green turkey anyway, Steve. Right. <laughs> now, wasn't it curious how Soji calls her mom to ask if Dodge is all oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Did that woman look the same to you in that, uh, you know, it was on a, a tablet or something? Did, did that the same actress? I, when I was looking at it, yeah, I again, it is, but the way they so? showed her kind of in 3D kind of made the made it look a little bit different than, than what it was when Dodge was talking to her when it was strictly 2D. Yeah, she seemed more Asian right. back in that episode and not so in this episode. So it could be the program with whatever works as the mother. Right. Because I think we all agree there is no mother. She's just part of the program. And apparently whatever she says will elicit something in Soji as a program. So not only does she not know how she's accessing these memories, she's also can follow subconscious, for lack of a better word, commands from the program that put her asleep. That was pretty interesting too. So back in the present day on Earth, JL visiting Rafi at her hostel, <laughs> shall we yeah, call I know. Yeah. Telling her about Dodge and his quest to find Maddox. Now, of course, the years have clearly not been kind to Rafi, as she tried to survive without a career that gave her purpose, and she's brutally honest with Picard about this, that he basically abandoned her when she needed him most, and he's only looking her up now because he needs something from her ouch that's kind of sharp oh yeah but it's actually true it is true he doesn't seem to get it though i'm working on a, a blog entry about why is jean-luc picard still single right when i go into a few theories and stuff and I, part of it is he doesn't understand he doesn't get it right and remember i've <laughs> always seen that in the past that he had problems with intimate relationships, shall we say. So Yeah, he and he connected with plenty of women. Well maybe this is we'll have to talk to Gates McFadden, see what her theory is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something he just doesn't get. He's many he's overly committed to his post as as leader, admiral, and captain. Right. You know, there were there's some depth of it that he doesn't understand. But he's but he also has that sympathy and empathy when uh, Dodge first came to him. So instead of asking her who she is, the first thing he did was understand why she was distressed. So there's that that aspect. He's a complicated character. Oh yes he is and I just hope that this doesn't eventually lead to his downfall. Yeah. Because he's awfully trusting of Agnes. Right. Too. Oh, she's an expert. Of course I want her on my ship. I, I saw the internet lead, uh, light up with her. But right. we'll, we'll get to Absolutely. that point. Yeah. So, of course, 
Once again, we hear that Rafi has evidence that a high-ranking Starfleet officer conspired with the Romulans to allow the Mars attack to go ahead. And, wow. Yeah, I don't think it's Clancy. (laughs) That's pretty high-ranking. And Commodore? Uh, Do we know a Commodore? Is that high-ranking enough? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you still, she's still not a a flag officer like an admiral, though, so you'd have to convince one of them. Right. As a Vulcan, her credentials would be impeccable, so she must have the ear of somebody at flag rank. Yep. If not the ear, then, of course, a traitor. Right. Also. Of course, John Luke once again refuses to believe, but despite this, Rafi does connect him with the pilot Cristobal Rios. <laughs> and the way we get introduced to him is amazing <laughs> because we see Picard getting beamed up on the ship with the Next Generation theme song playing in the back. Awesome. <laughs> and he gets to meet uh, EMH, who looks just like Rios. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. He created a uh, an alter ego of himself. A couple of them. Yeah. First is an English accent, and then what, he comes back as an Irish-accented right. EMH. So right. why? He's Spanish. Right, yeah, which <laughs> you kind of go, huh? But <laughs> I think he has. He might have identity problems. If he, if he actually did work in covert affairs himself, I mean, if you're always leading a double life, it would make sense to have an EMH that's your alter ego, but not exactly like you, because, so it can still act as your conscience. And that's what that EMH was doing a lot, too. So, of course, the EMH takes him up to meet Rios, who's got a piece of shrapnel or something sticking out of his shoulder. Can you get uh, Titanium in a bar fight, or is he off? We don't know what he's working at. (laughs) He asks Picard if he wants a drink. So Picard turns him down, so he just turns and splashes it on his wound. And, of course, he tells Picard to take a seat. (laughs) John Luke walks by the the chair and looks at it and goes, Nah, better not. Close, though. <laughs> oh, it was very close. Like a black hole being drawn to him with its gravity. Right. And Picard has pretty much figured out exactly who Rios is. Starfleet <laughs> through and through because five minutes on his ship, he can tell that every bolt and bulkhead and everything is stored per Starfleet rules and regulation. And I'm wondering if he might have actually been part of Section 31. Oh, wow. I wonder if he has some insight into how the Romulans have penetrated. Starfleet, yep. Yeah, they would know. (laughs) You'd think they would know. Yep, and who knows? Maybe it's... Maybe that's why he... Oh, so that's why they were betrayed. Yeah, they got betrayed. Well, we could sense they might have been betrayed because the last captain he followed, he saw his blood and brain splattered against a bulkhead, so maybe they were led into a trap. Right, absolutely you know, could have been. Cooked up by the Romulans. Yeah, they were getting too close to something. Maybe Rios will learn something significant about his own past and betrayal. Right. And how deep the Romulans go. Oh, this is getting complicated, Steve. <laughs> it's got to be complicated. It can't be easy. Nope. Now, later on, we see Picard and Laris have a moment where they discuss how he was never really at home on the vineyard. Yeah, I felt bad for Laris just then. Yeah, I think she kind of looked at him like uh, she's tended to him and given him a home to make sure he's safe and comfortable. And she's like, yeah, I, I never really thought this is a home. <laughs> like, ouch. Yeah. Stop breaking uh, women's hearts, will you? <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> exactly. And as they go inside, 
they get attacked by several. It was awesome. Yeah. Zot Bosch. Yeah. We find out Orla Brady's character, Lars, can kick, but she orders, I don't know if they're married, but uh, Siobhan to take care of them. I'll, I'll get this, basically, and starts lead the defense of the household. The one that John Luke didn't think so much of his home. Right, exactly. <laughs> Way to go, dummy. <laughs> but that was a pretty awesome scene. I liked how they had uh, weapons planted all oh, about there. Yes, underneath the table. That was awesome. That was so cool. And they all ended up holding their own for the most part. I mean, yeah. I was kind of surprised with the way we had seen Picard in the first couple of episodes that, yeah, once we actually had some hand-to-hand that he had to deal with, he performed admirably. Yeah, and they're, none of them are spring chickens, and these guys are basically shock troopers or assassins right. coming yes. in there. It says something about Jean-Luc's two Romulan friends there. Yeah. I know the internet's been hankering to see them going to stars, but he's already ordered them to stay home and take care of grapes. Right. The harvest <laughs> is coming. I know. Hopefully. Sure you don't want them with you? <laughs> right. I would personally like to have them with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I need all the people that can defend me as that I could get. Since they've outlawed synthetics, how about those people that work for nothing? Yeah. You know, all over Earth, you know, since there isn't money. Sure, I'll take care of your grapes. Why not? Right. Now, somehow, one of the Zashvat survived. Yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's the one that got the bottle to the head. Right. And we get to see <laughs> Javon wants to go full Talishar on him, and Laura says, we aren't that way anymore. <laughs> So, right. Yeah. So she's <laughs> this Romulan captive in the face with what appears to be water, like you would a cat. And then when he doesn't give up any information, she just <laughs> dicks him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he was a smart ass. He said something. I forgot to was to Siobhan or or Jean Luc. You know, you he's like being spiteful. You have no idea. She yeah. is. She isn't a girl. Why'd you kill her? Why'd you kill us? And then he. <laughs> So Lars only has so so much he can deal with. Oh, that's it. You just checked one of my boxes. Pow. Yeah. And <laughs> talk I do, to my guy. I do love the way they were cutting the scenes between the cube and the vineyard in these scenes as we learn that the Romulans think that Soji is the destroyer because you hear that from Ramda and this captured guy basically right after each other. Right. First, I thought, you know, that type of storyteller could be a little off-putting, switching back and forth. I mean, everyone has an A plot and a B plot, but these guys like to go back and forth. And this particular episode worked a lot better for me in doing that. I I didn't find it as jolting. Neither did I. I thought it worked out really well. Yeah. Now, of course, prior to this, we see Commodore O paying a visit to Dr. Girardi. Yeah. I only get it for a brief second, and it's like, oh, crap, what happened? <laughs> yeah, she has to learn. She wanted to learn firsthand what's going on. That is Com- Commodore O. It's a little jarring. Speaking of jarring, people are bopping in and out all the time. There is no privacy, apparently, in the 24th century. <laughs> if someone that just appears at your door, you, you don't know. You, you'd think they'd send a little message like, I'm going to be showing up at any moment now. Right. It happened on the Borg Cube, too. Yep. When Narek's sister just pounced out of nowhere. And she informs Picard that though she spilled the beans about his plans to Commodore O, she didn't tell her one secret being her intention to join Picard on the quest. So that's when the internet lit up about her being a spy. 
Right. I mean, she already met with a, a traitor. Vulcan is working for the Romulans, and at least they think she's a Vulcan. So is, is Dr. Agnes a spy now? Did they get to her? I am inclined to think not, but you know, right. the internet just jumped all over that. Oh, yeah. They and then we get... Me. Yeah, I, exactly. I was just about to say, that's reinforced by Rafi's suspicions. Hello, do you, are you going to vet this lady? Yeah. <laughs> Even a nope. basic security <laughs> I know. Yeah, poor Jean-Luc. Oh, no, she's the expert in her field. Let her aboard. I roll. Yeah, so... Yeah, that empathy may come back to bite him. But they get beamed up to Rio's ship, and of course, Card is surprised to see Rafi there, but that, Yay. of course, happened to be Rios's sources that were telling him it's about to get a whole lot hotter down there. Yeah, sources. Oh, we didn't touch on uh, that Romulan shotbox stormtrooper or whatever he is, assassin. He sprayed some goo. Right. Like green stuff. On Javon, and it got on Javon. Yeah, and it, I don't know, uh, that's another mystery. When it hit Dodge, she just cooked. Right. It was as if that spit, the green goo, was made for her to destroy her, which right. they should have done. That was a miscalculation, as has been noted. <laughs> on Rizzo's but, part. Yeah. So, but still, when it hit Javon, started cooking his jacket like right. any acid would, or, or herbicide, which is what I theorized it might have been to work on an organic synthetic but not a romulan that was born organic synthetic centuries before (laughs) why didn't he light up and then when we look at the assassin that's fallen back in a chair he he just turned to dust or whatever yeah that's it's got to be a suicide pill that just happens to i guess explode in the guy's mouth and the other guy cooks gets (laughs) some of it but why it burned the first assassin? We didn't see it burn this guy. I mean, he just kind of like melted <laughs> or, or dusted. Yeah, he just yeah he di- he disintegrated. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, oh, there has to be some reasoning behind that. Uh, I'm sure we'll learn sooner or later. If not, I'll just make one up. <laughs> well, shall we get into some Easter eggs and theories that we've already kind of discussed? <laughs> yeah, I've already swept through. Hope everyone's writing this down. <laughs> if you haven't watched the Next Generation's I Borg episode, you really should go ahead and do that because the end is the beginning, which is this episode, quietly reintroduces Hugh, played by Jonathan Del Arco. He does look different. The last time we saw him <laughs> as a Borg, he had that rather grayish appearance, the pallor of a Borg with tubes going in and out, and of course, all the implants and the body suit armor. Right. So, yeah, he looks a lot different. He just has that scarring where the implants have been removed. I don't think we ever saw that or any indication that that because he was in uh, – they uh, saw that. But he was starting to start his own society right. that was removed from the Borg when – Right, but he hadn't completely gotten all the implants taken out. Right. That was a different episode, not I, Borg, but later on right. where we saw our Data's brother, who's Lore, right? Right. It's something to do with that, too. Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot of material to catch up with, but it's definitely worth it. Yes. Speaking of uh, researching, Rios's reading material, The Tragic Sense of Life, comes from the Spanish writer Miguel de Unamano y Hugo. And it was published in 1912, and it lays out a philosophy that he arrived at trying out the era's prominent movements. And as it's understood, death makes uh, life tragic, but it's admirable to seek the sort of wisdom that recognizes but supersedes his tragedy. I've looked into it, too, and it seems that he defines that you can't be living life unless you're suffering from it, which is tragic. 
I mean, it's admirable that you learned something, but it is tragic. It seems to me a rather negative philosophy, Steve. Yeah, it really is. And we can look to his getting a chunk of titanium stuck in his shoulder. He just basically wants to yank it out, leave it as it is, because he wants to learn from that suffering. He wants to learn from that tragedy. And the only way he's going to get, I guess, some sort of enlightenment is to suffer. What do you think of that? It's a very interesting way to live life, that's for sure. But yeah, not, it kind not of exactly sense <laughs> for him because we didn't touch on his second encounter with the not the EMH, but the RMH, the repair maintenance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, who is basically just going gaga, fangirling over Picard being there. But Rios is not having any of it. And we, you know, he does mention that, yeah, he saw his, his captain splattered all over the bulkhead. So kind of guess that that makes sense that Rios would kind of try to take that approach just simply because, like, Picard really hasn't come to grips with Data's death, that I don't think Rios has come to grips with his former captain's death. Yeah, so... We have an analog here. We have the hologram projection that's his alter ego that's a lot more cheerful than he is. Oh, both of them are. Yeah. And neither of these EMHs or RMHs can understand why Rios is so negative, I guess. And Rios just wants to suffer while they're trying to see him as alter egos. You know, look on the bright side of life, which, Steve, is what Raffi was to Picard when they had that working relationship, when they served together. She was super upbeat, even when they she found out that uh, there isn't going to be rescue. She says, "Well, we'll find a way. Right, yeah, we'll just Another do it herself." Possibility to come up with a solution for. And neither of these guys can see it yet. Both of these, I mean, the hologram projection and Rafi are trying to tell them we can do it, but they don't listen. Right, that's odd. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> very odd, and might end up causing more trouble than. We can imagine between these two before this season is over with. Well, I think that's worth keeping track of. I you know, as, definitely agree with that. Okay. Everyone else there, keep track of it with us. Yes. Now, we do have some feedback. Once again, our friend Fred from the Netherlands has provided us some feedback. So, let's take a listen. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Card Season 1. Episode 3. First off, I still have some remarks about last week's episode because I was too late to send in feedback. I did create an audio file, but it was not included. Episode 2, I think it's a 6 or a 7 as a grade because I found it a blabber episode. Talking, talking, talking. And my wife also agreed on that. And actually, I fell asleep watching this episode. But that is perhaps just me being very tired. Um, I really have to rewatch, and perhaps then also the feedback gets better. I think it's a brilliant idea that Dash and her twin sister were made from some positronic neural cell of data. If you would compare this to DNA, well. Potentially, you could reconstruct a person completely from just one cell, because one human cell contains all the DNA. Well, if you do this in a positronic way, that could be the basis of creation 
a clone, a kind of clone of data. Some people on social media suggested that the growth speed of Daj and her sister could be accelerated somehow because, well, the 14 years is not enough for this Daj, which is clearly older than the 14 years. But I don't think these androids did grow at all. And we get some indication that they are really constructed and they had put memories, Agnes says that, into their minds and... Probably the mother is not a real mother, but just uh, something in her mind or some kind of a connection to some computer and there is no real mom and no real growing up. How will these androids grow up? Anyhow, we also saw that in Lal. Lal was Data's daughter, but she was in size an adult person. She had to grow in her mind, but not in her size. I think it's still a mystery why Data, when he painted his daughter about three years after Lal died as Dash, why didn't he paint Lal? And did Maddox create Dash and her twin sister from Data's painting? So, something strange there. And I really wonder if Maddox, as some people suggested, will play the role as the so-called father of these two girls. And we see Soji is so-called fully sexual functional, but we already knew that from Data as well. As I remember well, he had a sexual relation with Tasha Yar, and that's why she always played a special role in his life. Okay, about this episode, episode 3. Let's start with Commander O. Did she walk out of the Blues Brothers or Men in Black? Really ridiculous with these sunglasses. And did I see a change in her ears? Did they get pointier, more Romulan instead of Vulcan? What I liked a lot was the ears getting pointier in Narissa Rizzo. I actually really wonder if that is her Romulan name. But she looks quite stunning in her very nice black leather outfit. She reminds me, by the way, of the elf warrior Turiel in The Hobbit, played by Evangeline Lily. But Rizzo is more wicked. If we see what Shiban and Loris can do, I just don't understand why they don't go with Picard. Why they stay on the vineyard. Are these grapes really so important? Isn't protecting this old guy not more important? Well, they really showed they can fight, but perhaps they will join in a later phase. I liked a lot that we finally got a emergency medical hologram doctor back in a Star Trek series. Uh, very nice, and even a cloned one, which opens, of course, my orphan black heart. On the other hand, the EMH on Voyager was also a physical copy of its creator, Dr. Timmerman. I liked a lot that ship, it really looks nice on the inside and the outside. And in the last scene where Picard says engage, of course we all expected that, but it was still nice. I really liked the interaction between Jean-Luc and Raffi. Although the first scene, the opening scene, there the acting of both Sir Patrick and Michel Hunt was not 100%. I had some feelings of a little overacting again there. 
And another thing I'm questioning is, is Soji really falling for Narek's I think I'm falling in love with you. Although his sister did warn him about don't fall in love. So it could be true. Okay, that was all for this time. Greets, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thanks again, Fred, for your feedback. I will double check what got published on last week's episode to figure out why your feedback wasn't included. But yeah, it's interesting that I knew you would uh, bring up the be the genetics expert that you are and mentioned that, yes, it's very possible that if they could use a single positronic neuron to create Dodge and Soji from data, that, yeah, we could take one cell of a human and clone them. So you got your life's work and your favorite subject on cloning in feedback in one in one episode. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I think the, it... <laughs> the sunglasses were a bit much for O. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they didn't work too well. I was kind of thinking probably. I think I have men in black, and she was about to. Yeah. Get I was thinking of memory wipe. I was thinking of the big O. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna break into the song as I was listening to Fred and Fred. Don't don't you dare fall asleep on an episode again. We'll pull your Star Trek geek card. You were talking, uh, Fred was, <laughs> yes, he was tired. He was brought up about uh, Data's daughter's painting, and he, he cited three years after, what was it? After Law had. Yes, and how we got that face. I think I have a reason. Ooh. Behind the face. It's an implanted memory. Something, somebody got into Data's coding and put that there. Much the same way they got into Soji coding, and she revealed all that knowledge of the Romulans and the Borg that she didn't know she had. Because somebody put it there. Huh. Huh. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. And... and it could have been the same person. Dis- well, obviously, it's the same person that designed Soji and Dodge, introduced that programming into data. Oh, now, this one's so going could... really blow your mind. Okay. Wesley Crusher, from the future, <laughs> with the traveler, <laughs> comes back and plants that into data. Or is Q. <laughs> right, or it's Q, one of the two. <laughs> I think more it's like Bruce Maddox did it. More than you know, all his research and work, he somehow accessed data and put the, what he was working on way back then with Soji and Dodge. And, and Data just thought it was an original idea. He didn't realize he'd been reprogrammed. Right, absolutely. That makes more sense. But that would be, my theory would be a way to bring in a couple of more uh, oh, yeah. possible actors <laughs> from the series into this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fred, we really do appreciate your thoughts. Uh, glad you got to see a cloned RMH. And yeah, I thought the ship looked pretty good as well. I mean, it still had some sharp lines, but they didn't seem quite as sharp as the ones there on Mars. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I, when I looked at it briefly, it looked as though it can come apart, too. Like something can, uh, like a saucer separation right. from the main body of a starship. I was wondering if something actually pulls off the top of that and maybe acts as the shuttle. We'll find out. Look, I mean, I don't know why you need a shuttle if you can beam everywhere. <laughs> True. You show up at someone's door and there's a there's a Romulan uh, disruptor there. <laughs> well, I'm glad you showed up, Dr. Agnes, and you know how to use a disruptor. And she just finds out there's no stun setting on it. There's no privacy in the future. No, not at all. And the acting between John Luke and Rafi in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think it was just that Picard had was so passionate about 
this mission. And he really felt like they had all the answers that Starfleet would question. Yeah. And that he had to actually play his resignation card that he knew, just knew in the bottom of his heart, they would not accept. Yeah. He didn't realize they've been reprogrammed, in a sense. Exactly. And, of course, Rafi is, at that point in time, was the eternal optimist. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, yeah, he crushed her. Just yeah. completely crushes her. And we see that even after 14 years, it's completely crushed her. Yeah. So I think we kind of get that in the, when we get back to the present, that we really see how damaged Rafi is by Jean Luc's, I won't say ignorance to what she was going through, but that's kind of what it was. I mean, he yeah. was so involved in his own disdain that he completely forgot that Rafi's life had been completely turned upside down as well. And, and to some degree, Rios too. Yeah. They've all been affected. We don't know exactly his story. All these people have damaged past that have changed their, their future. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how something's going to have to give to reconcile up for all these people, including uh, the uh, Institute of the Federation and Starfleet itself. How can they be cured? Something's going to have to, they're going to have to find the root cause, Steve, the root cause. Yep, Got to get to the root. Well, Fred, thank you once again for your feedback. And like I said, I will double check episode two, find out what happened and make sure that doesn't happen again. Okay. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode of this season and looking forward to interacting with you on social media. How can the fans interact with us, Dave? You can contact us through www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you will find several ways to contact us via email and through social media. And on Twitter, of course, it's Sawyer Steve or The Real ID Dave. And you can check out my blog on Blogger through Google. It's Interdimensional Dave. And I'll be coming up with a new post soon about why Picard is still single. And it touches briefly on this episode, too. All right. Can't wait to read that one. So please review. It'll be first. Yeah, please review and rate us on (laughs) iTunes. Ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends and we do hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. Fourth episode is on February 13th and it's titled Absolute Candor. And Fred should be excited because we're going to look at a character saw the teaser that looks just like an elf from Lord of the Rings with a sword. So uh, he should really be excited about that. So until then, remember, this is Chief Engineer Steve. I'm not in the habit of consulting lawyers before I do what needs to be done. I'll have to introduce you to my lawyer, Steve. Brown and Sticky. (laughs) Brown and Sticky are the best. This is Redshirt Dave. And uh, I got some good news. My friends, I didn't know they were my friends. They've invited me down to the holodeck for uh, target practice. So I'm going to put on a new red shirt, and I'll be running right down to meet them. I hope it's fun.